Pastor Mike Gurton is here today, and he's going to minister to us. So there he is. Uh, he's going to come, and for those of you who've been here before for this, you know, powerful ministry time. So if we can get the lights dimmed and the children out of here, let's have fun. Pastor Mike Gurton. Um, thank you so much. Um, how many have never been here with me before? I've been coming here like 20 years, but I know there are a lot of new people. Who, how many have not been with me before? Raise your hand nice and high. Thank you so much. Um, just want to give a brief explanation as to why does he have a table of stuff up there. Um, I pastored children full-time for 14 years, and I learned how to preach preaching to children. And I was absolutely terrified to take my eyes off the kids when I was preaching to them because I really thought if I stopped looking at them, they'd, turn, they'd get distracted. They'd be like I am. And if you think I'm kidding, ask my wife, Kim. Sometimes she'll grab me in the kitchen. Now, Michael, what did I just say? I said, uh, and I'll get some of it, you know, because I, so I, I, it's, like it's like I'm driven to keep people's attention. So um, I'm breaking my own code. I have seven pages of notes. And um, but I don't look at notes normally. I normally, for those of you who've been with me, you know I quote everything, and that came from preaching to children. And so, again, for to take, afraid to take my eyes off of them. So whenever I'm listening to a brother or a friend preach, and I see him look at, down at the Bible, I start having a panic attack. Like, what's he? I just get dysfunctional, you know. And I just look how relaxed he is, and he's trusting the Lord. And so that's another of my many weaknesses. So I say all that to say this, that I'll be reading a lot of notes, um, for, which is really out of my ballpark. But, this, but anyway, when I was preaching to children, when I would meditate on the text again and again and again, all of a sudden an object lesson would pop into mind that either, I'd either have to buy or build or find. And so our basement is filled with object lesson bins on shelves. And so I'm traveling light, to be honest with you. And, um, how many of you have seen the time machine before in here with pe people we bring back from the past? So thank you. I wanted to bring it because, to be honest, uh, I, I teased Pastor Rick semi-facetiously a few weeks ago. I said, I wish you had a mega church with a lot of money because I wanted to bring my time machine cast that I've been using all summer. We did the Lord uh, and the two angels visiting Abraham before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, all summer, the three camps I did, and then I did it at a youth retreat in New Jersey last month, but, uh, and that leads into a message on Romans 1. Our culture desperately needs Romans 1. Yes. And I would tell the audience, if you let go of Romans 1, you're done. Romans 1 destroys atheism, evolution, sexual immorality, homosexuality, and idolatry. It's the sledgehammer. Christians don't let go of it. Many churches have. Many Christians have. Many leaders have. We need the battle axe of Romans 1. So I was really longing logistically, if it was logistically possible, to do that, but maybe, Lord willing, we can do that sometime. And um, it was very sobering. But, but what I'm going to do... Um, the, the, like I said, I did it at all three camps this summer, um, and I just spent my 39th summer in some kind of camp worker ministry, and I told the first group, uh, if, I could do, if I could stand it physically, I'd do camp every week, but uh, no way, and I don't want to go to heaven prematurely, but that's how you do it, okay? And, um, but 
Every camp, uh, I meet with my staff Sunday night, and I have what I call my staff vision message. I have got to give vision to the staff as to why they're going to be there for a week with these kids and teens. They have to have vision. We used to sing at Elam, without a vision, we dwell carelessly. And I paraphrased that decades ago. Without a vision, we dwell without a care. No vision, no burden. No burden, no compassion. No compassion, no action. So the staff have got to have vision. So what I, I gave it to all three staffs, as I said. And you know what, beloved, is that as I went over these, the truths of this message, I, I really felt the Lord was impressing my heart. Michael, these things are not just for your camp staffs the body of Christ, and the, and the gift and the calling on my life for the last 20 plus years uh, is to the body of Christ at large. Um, if I was a head pastor, it would be a disaster, and I know it, all right? I'm not gifted for it, you know, but I love it how we join and we dovetail our gifts and complement each other. So I greatly admire my dear brothers on the front lines pastoring through COVID and through the mess our country is in. So I super respect them, and I just many, many times wonder, Father, wow, I wouldn't know the first thing to do. And you know why? Because God didn't call and gift me to do it. You know? So I'm so glad I can come and bring something, uh, a gift to you. And you guys, and your, this church has done more for me in my spirit and encouragement than I can ever describe. So this is the, this is the message that um, my camp staff's got. And... Uh, so I'll, I'll explain as we're in that context, okay? So um, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I love, Lord, how the worship song, we want to see your glory fall. And we're talking about your glory today. Hallelujah. So Lord, I just bless you for this church family and the relationship we've had for decades now. Lord, I want to leave them with some nuclear rods glowing. I really do. Lord, please, Lord. May the gold coins flow in Jesus' name. Amen. Michael, what are you talking about, the golden coins? How many have played Mario before? Super Mario? You know when he's running through the maze? He comes under the block. He's banging it with his head. Remember? What comes out the top? Golden coins. And so that's what I liken this message to. I don't want to stop preaching it until the gold coins run out. They're still popping out for me. And I pray you see why. Okay, brothers, thank you. Okay. Thank you for all the brothers and sisters who, sisters who helped me do what I do. Now, um, there was a theologian called William G.T. Shedd. He was one of the founding theologians of Union Theological Seminary in New York. Uh, in the 1800s, when Union was conservative, as most seminaries were in their founding, and many are not now. Al Mohler said that the tendency of the flesh is to always go left. And, it's, and so it's true. But back in those days, in fact, Union Theological Seminary a few years ago had a chapel service, and they repented to trees and plants. You're going to be blown when you hear what the, one of the founders of the school says. In the th well, I'm going to quote him a lot today. But that's who William G.T. Shedd is, and this is something that he shared in one of his theology books that I have. All right? We're going to go back to the 19th century to a woman whose name was Frances Kemble Butler. And she was out, a sh out on the sea at night in a ship. And it was, it was in a horrible storm, and she, she thought she was going to die. And this is what she wrote years later. And in the context, beloved, I was telling the camp staffs, this is why we do camps. 
And you know what? This is why you do church. You'll understand in a minute. Quote, as the vessel reeled under a tremendous shock, the conviction, the conviction of our impending destruction became so intense in my mind that my imagination suddenly pre presented to me the death vision. I wish we all could live every day with the death vision in our minds. You'd live differently. Teach us to number our days that we might attain unto wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. She saw the death vision. She thought she was about to die. This is what happened. It came so intense in my mind that my imagination suddenly presented to me the death vision, so to speak, of my whole existence. I should find it impossible adequately to describe the vividness with which my whole past life presented itself to my perce perception, not as a procession of events. In other words, she didn't see like her infancy, childhood, adolescence, teenage, middle age, senior years, and in succession, she said she saw her whole life in one spot. Watch what happened. I saw it as a whole, as a total, suddenly held up to me as if I saw it in a mirror. Indescribably awful. Do you know, beloved, on Judgment Day, every single human being of the billions who've existed, every single person's going to have a turn, one at a time, to give an account for every single thing they thought, fantasized, did, didn't do they were supposed to do, everything, 99% of which we've forgotten. Angels are recording right now what I'm preaching. We will all hear this message again. I will be judged most severely because I'm a teacher who's teaching it. But you will be judged on how you listened. For the parts that are from God, not from Michael. I pray you think like that, my dear brothers and sisters, all the time. Your life will change. But what happens? This is what she saw. She said, I had an acute and almost despairing sense of loss, waste. There's not an adult in the room who wish, doesn't wish in some way you could live your youth over again. Most of the youth and children in our society waste their youth. This is what she said, loss and waste. That's why we do camps. Now. That's why you need people to volunteer here in children's ministries. You need your best people at this church with the children. And don't, you know, be careful when you give mass invitations because the devil gets in line. Oh, he loves work with children. He's got his drag queens in libraries. Oh, it got quiet in here. Come on. The devil loves souls. He wants them damned with his, and he doesn't care how old they are. He even goes after them in the womb. Having a lot of success in America. That was a little side thing. She said she, was her, she looked at her whole life, and it was loss and waste. Now watch, by which it was accompanied. Then she goes, this instantaneous involuntary retrospect. In other words, she didn't choose to have this memory of her whole life was followed by a keen and rapid survey of the religious belief in which I had been trained. Watch now. And which then, in other words, at the moment of death, 
It seemed to me my only important concern. Kids in services, teens in services, when's this over? I gotta go home and got some gaming to do. I'm gonna see the game. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. When you're on your deathbed, you don't think like that. The only thing that matters then is what you were taught about Christ. See, that's how you get wisdom, beloved, as a young person, is you think like an old person. David said, I'm smarter than all my teachers and my elders. Why? Because I love your precepts. You see? So this actress, I found out from a friend later, she was an actress, this woman who wrote this. But she said, at the point of death, nothing else mattered but the religious belief in which I had been trained, and which then to me seemed to me my only important concern. No, no, the church, you know, is on the shelf. I got a lot of things in my life, you know, there's this, there's that, categorized. No, 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 no. The knowledge of God is on the top shelf, and it alone. If it's not, you need to wipe the shelf, because he deserves it. You see? I don't agree with you, Gertie. I got other things in my life. You know what? I guarantee you won't think that way when you're drawing your last breath. There's only one thing you want to know, Christ and him crucified. That's why we do camps. That's what I told the staff. Beloved, this is why we're doing these camps. Because these kids might be too, not be too interested now, but they're going to be real glad we taught them when they were little. You see? Now, we strive to have our camps and our church services text-driven. I would tell the directors through the years who were like sons to me by my side for years, I want the camp text-driven. Many camps are personality-driven. But what do you do when the personality's gone? Oh, I'm not going anymore. He's not there anymore. Pastor Rick would be sick to his stomach if that's why you came. Of course, every pastor loves to be loved. I'm not talking about that. But if he's the only reason you're coming, you're coming for the wrong reason. I'm trying to get the camp in a place that when I'm gone, kids still keep coming. You see. Now, it's not personality-driven. Many camps are hype-driven. Many church services are hype-driven. Many church services are entertainment-driven. Come on. My, my, my favorite apologist, James White of Alpha and Omega Ministries, he said this, and I'll never forget it. What you win people with is what you win them to. You stop all the frills to try to get people to come here, they stop coming. You see, I, I want, of course, I want Holy Spirit experience. Many groups in sincerity, they mean well. They chase experience, and they start, crank the music, play it 17 times. Do this, do that, trying to make something happen. That's not how you do it. I want our campers to have Holy Spirit experiences that come from the text. The deepest fountains of Holy Spirit experience are in the foundations of the text. You're going to see why. So then when the kids aren't at camp, they have the text. They can go in their closet, in their bedroom, interact with the text. You'll have Holy Spirit experiences. He's the author! You see, wow. Now, what's the ultimate reason that we are here this morning? I call it my Holy Halloween verse to help people remember it. 1 Corinthians 10.31, the date of Halloween, 10.31. 
Whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, you do all to the glory of God. Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what are you doing here? To glorify God. What does that mean? To live in such a way that when other, other people watch you, they think more highly of him. That's what it means to live for the glory of God. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I've often described the camps the Lord has graced me to, to pastor. That the basic thing, what are, what are the Hopewell camps? Well, if you had to really ask me, we groom children and teenagers how to spend long times, long periods of time in the presence of the Lord and enjoy it. And nothing is more music to my ears than when the children and teens are asked, what was your favorite part of camp? They always say chapels. And man, those crazy things we do to play with them before we pray with them. I have candy dropped out of the sky from airplanes and you name it. But when we play, we play. But when we pray, we pray. Now, what do you mean for the glory of God, Michael? Well, there are so many aspects of the glory of God in the scripture. One of the first that comes to mind is God's resplendent glory. God's resplendent glory. You can lower the lights over the audience if you would, bros. Thanks very much. Can't do what I do without you guys. God's resplendent, oh, not yet. God's resplendent, I'm telling the Holy Spirit, not yet. <laughs> That's another sermon, isn't it, bro? God's resplendent glory. It says God dwells in unapproachable light. 1 Timothy 6, 16. Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, verse 2. Remember, it says Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him on a high mountain, and there he was transfigured before him, them, and his face shone like the sun. It was like they saw Jesus weep, sweat, bleed when he got scratched, yawn, get hungry, get thirsty. But he said, oh, my brother's... Let me show you what's on the inside. I'm the God man. And he gave them a little taste, a little foretaste of his resplendent glory. That's an aspect of the glory of God. But that's not the one that 1 Corinthians 10.31 is talking about. Why? Because, well, the resplendent glory we're going to have forever and ever in eternity. But you see, if that's what you live for, I doubt highly that God would have it manifest here. And you know what, beloved? And, excuse me, in a way, I wouldn't want him to. Do you know why? because this church would fill and burst out the walls. But you know why? Given the nature of man, it wasn't that they wanted him. Men are easily infatuated with phenomena. So in a sense, and Lord, I trust you take this, Lord, reverently, I wouldn't want the resplendent glory manifesting. I saw other stuff manifest in meetings for years. I used to be very troubled by it because it's so easy to get enamored with that stuff. But you don't, I don't want the phenomena of God, I want him. So you see, the glory of God, the second aspect of the glory of God that we should live for, that we, that we, should, we should long for, is the power of God. Shed said, the power of God is the essence of God. This is my object lesson, and Father, forgive me, uh, for God. You know, I mean, it's already wrong because it's contained in God's infinite. But work with me here, okay? But it says, the power of God is the essence of God energizing and producing outward effects. 
So when you entreat God for a miracle or a work of power, the essence of God is just there, infinite. It can't be added to, it can't be diminished. But the essence of God, so to speak, you know, what the three persons are made up of, if you will, you know, John 4, 23, God is spirit, infinite, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. All the aspects and attributes of God, it's just there, isn't it? But then they hear the cry of one of their people, oh, Lord, will you work a miracle here? And all of a sudden, the, sudden the essence starts to energize. And then it like shoots out and it does something. It produces outward effects. We have got to have the power of God in our meetings. Wow. Paul said, I didn't come to you when I came to preach 1 Corinthians 2, verses 2 through 4. I, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with persuasive, you know, dash, digging myself, rip rock words. And, you know, hey, he's a great orator. No, I came to you in fear and trembling and weakness. And I came in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. And as this culture is let, let loose by God, as this, Romans 1, as God punishes it by letting it have what it wants, it's the scariest judgment. At least when God judged in the past by sending water or fire from heaven, you knew it was him. But you see, the people God is judging today, they see it as a victory. They're getting away with everything. They're prospering, successful. They're growing. And they think, see, God's for us. This is, this is great. No, pun no punishment. But it says in Ecclesiastes that because God doesn't punish a work quickly, the insanity of men think it's all right. But what does Romans 1 say in verse 24, 26, and 28? God gave them over to what they wanted. So here they're rejoicing in their success in America. All the while, they're getting punished, and they don't know it. God is with a shrewd. Remember, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 18. He shows himself shrewd. Wow. But we do need the power of God. It says in 2 Thessalonians verses, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it says that Paul says God is not unjust, for those who are afflicting you, Christians, he will afflict them. When is this going to happen, Paul? It says this will happen when the Lord Jesus returns in blazing fire. There was a dear brother who encouraged me after the first service who was a fireman, you know, and I'm sure he's seen some major conflagrations, but nothing like is coming. The fire of the Lord Jesus, it also says that he will come with at least, Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, 100 million angels in blazing fire with his holy angels. What's he going to do? He's going to mete out punishment to those who don't know God and don't obey the gospel. Now watch. These people will be shut out, watch now, from the glory of his power. So God's power is an aspect of his glory that we should long for, pray for. I'm not sure we, we live for it, but we desperately need it. You have got to have the power of God in your gatherings, beloved, more than ever. Amen. As the world is getting more and more wicked and God is judging them. And you know, there's got to, they have to walk in here. Wow, there's a different spirit in here than I sense at the mall, that I sense in school, at work, or in my home. There's a different spirit here. Spirit of God, he has power. That's why a person who's dead in trespasses and sin, sitting in here on a Sunday morning, the wrath of God hangs over their head, John 3.36. Present tense. They're dead. They're on their way to hell. They have a nature that's only hostile to God. And they hear the gospel preached. Spirit of God, the essence of God energizes and it hits that person, convicts them of sin that they used to love seconds before, breaks the chains, bashes Satan in the face for Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. 
God the Father actually comes in the room and he translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. And that person has no idea what's going on behind the scenes. When they get converted, God the Father comes in here. He lifts them up and he brings them to the kingdom of his son. That's the power of God. But the number one aspect of the glory of God that we long for is this third aspect. And there are more aspects than the ones I'm sharing. But this, this is by far the most important one. In Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 and 19, Moses is on the mountain and he asks the Lord, Now, Lord, show me your glory. What's the first thing the Lord says to Moses when Moses speaks glory? What's the first thing that comes to God's mind? I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. The man asked for glory. Well, God could have said, all right, watch this demonstration of my power. He did that to Elijah, remember? No. He could have said, well, let me show you radiant splendor. Watch this. I'll start to do it like I did on the Mount of Trans... No. What did he say? I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. You see, beloved, this is one of the reasons the prosperity gospel is so evil and sinister. When you are a sinner, you don't need God's money. You need his mercy. So watch. You see? So Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. This is the light I use for the glory of God that speaks of his perfections. Now watch what the Lord tells Moses. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand because you can't see my face and live. And I will walk past and I will proclaim the name of the Lord. But I, and I'm going to hide you there. You will see my back parts, but you can't see my face and live. So watch in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, as the Lord passes by. He says, the Lord... The Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives our iniquities, our transgression, and our sins. You see the number one aspect of God's glory on God's mind? His perfections, his excellencies, his attributes, his character. That's the number one aspect, beloved, of the glory of God that we need to live for and pray for and to see released in our meetings. Now, that's why, well, Michael, what's the color for? I use this, this show, the multicolor, the beauty of the, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so all the, those aspects, slow to anger, you know, forgiving sin, iniquities, and, and those are just multifaceted color of the beauty of God. And that's what, he was, that's what we were called to live for. Now, oh, wrong one. Just heard something else go off. Now, talking about living for the glory of God. Now, Thomas Watson, a Puritan, uh, he lived in the 17th century, I believe. You know how he described God's glory? He said, God's glory is God's deity. In other words, what he's made up of, his essence, his godness. He said, God's glory is God's deity Sparkling. Sparkling. How does God, given who he is, not shine? There's no darkness in him. There's some kind of connection, beloved, between life and holiness and light. In him was life, and the life was the 
light of men. Psalm 36, 9. Lord, you are the fountain of life. And watch the next thing that comes to the psalmist's mind by the Holy Spirit. And in your light, we see light. Wow. God's glory is God's deity sparkling. Wow. Now, I have to keep going. Now, watch this. These are some quotes. Sheds quotes another man, Leighton, I've never heard of until I saw it in his theology book. Since God could propose no greater end of all things, in other words, what gets you out of bed in the morning and what to live for, God could propose no greater end for man to live for, he proposed himself. Just think of it, beloved. If there was a goal or an end or a purpose that you were supposed to live for higher than God, that would be God. There's nothing higher than to live for him. Now watch, here's Shed again. The glory of God means such a manifestation of the divine perfections. Remember the multicolored lights that Moses saw? He said, this is the glory of God, such a manifestation of God's divine perfections as leads creatures to worship and adore. Now watch, adoration is the highest act of a creature. There's nothing, beloved, nor, no, more trustworthy or more praiseworthy or noble, no higher act in the universe that you could do as a human being than to adore God. But Michael, I feel I seldom, I seldom, even when I'm worshiping in song, feel like I'm adoring God. I'll show you how to do it. Watch. Adoration is the highest act of a creature, and here's how it happens and the revealed excellence of the creator is the object that brings it out. Here's how it works. In the first service, I was talking about the perfections of God and a woman over here, she goes, Jesus. She heard things from the text of scripture. It went to her spirit, it went to her ears first, and to her mind, down to her heart. It produced worship in her. She illustrated what I'm going to illustrate now. Here's the essence of God. I said this this morning. If Pastor uh, Rick and Kim had never met each other, and they went to a Starbucks, and they sat at a table for five hours and just looked at each other for five hours, all right, would they know any, would each other any better when they left? Why? They didn't do what? They didn't talk. Dirty, what are you talking about? Exactly. You see, everything you believe, everything you think, all of your opinions, your convictions, all your desires, all the things that you hate, everything about you is inside you. God has designed us because we're made in his image that the way you get you out, you have to use vehicles to carry what you feel, what you think out. Words. Why, Gertie? Because we're made in his image. That's how he does it. If, you ma if he married her at, after that one meeting, he's out of his mind, and so is she. But you see, they talked, and they found that the things that were burning in their hearts and what they felt and believed about things, they meshed. Watch. It's the same principle. Here's the essence of God. How does God get who he is out of himself to, to, so we know what he's like? He speaks Words, right? When God speaks the word, it comes out, right? 
comes to the people who either are reading it or hearing it. The Holy Spirit comes. He illuminates the word. Amen. How many of you have read a scripture ten times and meant nothing to you? And on the eleventh time, oh, I never saw that before. Huh? What's the problem with the word? It was with you. You see. What happened? Is it on? Is it on? Good. I have to ask because sometimes it doesn't. I told the first group, my wife says my light's never on. But, but you see, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God that he authored, amen, by his mercy and grace, and he doesn't have to do it with everybody. Well, Gertie, the same word has gone out to a whole group of people, and a lot of people just can't wait to get home, and they could care less about this. What's the matter? Something wrong with it? No. Something wrong with it? No. Something wrong with the Holy Spirit? No. Where's the problem? Holy Spirit has an illuminate. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. So when the Spirit of God has mercy on a soul, he quickens it to their mind. The light comes on, then what happens? All of a sudden, the priceless gift of understanding. Proverbs isn't wasting its breath when it tells us to pursue and crave and, tre and treasure understanding. Why? It leads to change. So what happens? This is what happened to that sister in the room last service. She heard it with her ears. Got into her mind, the Holy Spirit quickened it to her, and her heart went on fire for Jesus. She started adoring. It went this way. Whoever believes in me, and guess, this is the awesome thing about the grace of faith, that the word carries the faith you need to believe it in itself. So she heard, God gave it to her, a gracious gift. Then what happened? This is what happened. Whoever believes on me from the deepest be at parts of his being, amen, shall flow rivers of living water. She started to worship. Gertie, what'd you do? Did you, did, you, did, you, did you inject her with something? No. Oh, I know, Gertie. You have a preacher magic wand. You just wave it over people. And the no, 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 no. All I did was share the text. Spirit of God took the text, amen, illuminated it, to her, illuminated it to her mind. When that happens, beloved, heart gets on fire, the well's deep within, she starts adoring. That's how you adore. I don't feel adoration all the time. You have to give your eyes or your ears, your mind to the text, and it goes down there. Oh, no, Gertie, we want, we want some special ceremony you do. Never happens. Never happens. God doesn't do shortcuts like that. You see, it's always in his precious word. And that's what happened. So that's what happened. I got to, I got to select now sections I want to cover. And I'm not having a panic attack looking at notes and not looking at you. I'm pretty, wow. Now, that's how it happens. Now watch. There was a man who had longings just like you and me. 2,700 years ago, his name was Isaiah. Now, will you show the picture of Kim and, and my father-in-law, please? Thanks, bro. Many of you in this room, by the way you're rejoicing, I can tell you know what I'm talking about, and there's something in you that's hungry for more. This is my father-in-law, who's been in heaven four years, and that's my wife, Kim. Something, you notice, Dad, is he paying attention to her? He is, isn't he? You know why? Number one, she's his firstborn. 
We parents don't love our firstborns any more than the other kids, but the, there's something about a firstborn. First sign of a man's strength. In the Old Testament, the blessing was on the firstborn. Jesus the firstborn. All right, just say it. Jesus firstborn. Here's the other thing, though. She's his only daughter. He cried when he gave her to me. Imagine that. <laughs> Giving Kim to me. But he told me to cherish her. Now watch. You see? That's why Dad has Kim's ear. Or Kim, Kim has Dad's ear. How many of you have felt when you've longed for something for years and you've asked the Heavenly Father and you feel like he's not listening at all? Doesn't, nothing's changed? Doesn't feel like he's even listening? How many? You can be honest. Yep, 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 yep. It's impossible for him not to listen to his children that he had the blood of his son spilled for. Why doesn't he answer? One of our deepest needs is to learn how to wait. And the other biggest reason is that he wants fellowship with you. How many of you have seen kids as soon as they ask, oh yes, Poopsie, here you go, baby. And you give kids that, what does it do to them? Spoils them, they take off, thank you. They run off. God desires fellowship, it's amazing. This is what makes me, brings me to my knees, is that the eternal essence of God, he's, he's self-sufficient, he doesn't have a need of anything or anyone, and he was doing a lot, fine without us. He was. And then I used to preach that God created us because he was lonely. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. He wasn't lonely. You imagine? God the Father turning to the Son and eternity to pass. Let's create, Gertie. I'm lonely. <laughs> the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were perfectly content. There was not, they weren't even in heaven or on thrones. There was nothing but them. There was no space. They weren't in heaven. There was, not, there was no heaven. It was just God. And they could have done that for all of eternity future and be totally content. They chose to create and set their affection on a people just because they wanted to. They don't need you. That's what makes his love so amazing. <sighs> Kim has dad's ear. Thank you, bro. What did Isaiah cry out for? Look down from heaven, O God, from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Now, John Gill was a, th a theologian from the 17th century, 18th century. Watch what he said about this from God's... Look, and that's on this text, Isaiah was talking about the third heaven, the seat of his majesty. Where is his throne of glory? Now, we all know God's omnipresent everywhere all the time, but Jesus said, our Father who art in, there's something about his person that he's in heaven. So what does it say? This is what I was, as I was driving here yesterday, and the sky was so blue and glorious with white clouds, and I couldn't stop thinking about this while trying not to have an accident. I was just staring at the sky, meditating on this text, driving up 295. But watch what it says. The throne of his glory, his presence is most visible to angels and glorified saints. They actually are seeing him right now. Scholars have called it the beatific vision, seeing God's face. Charles Hodge, who taught at Princeton for 56 years, said that we will see God's face in the face of Jesus, and it will be ravishing. Isaiah 53, 2 says that Jesus is not physically attractive, and I believe he looks just like he does on earth, like he does now. He's the same person, the same body, glorified, yes. 
He'll have the scars, and he isn't going to look like Dash Riprock now when we see him. No, that wasn't what attracted people to him. It was the beauty of holiness. Remember the multicolored light? It was that glory that we're after, that we live for. Wow. And then, it said, then he said, it was great condescension for God to look down from heaven to you. So when he does it, wow. Wow. Isaiah asked for that. He said, where is your zeal? At the camps this summer, it was like, Father, I not only want you to do things, but I want you to be excited to do them. You know, the scriptures say God does all kinds of things from Genesis to Revelation, but there are only a number of places where it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And I was like, Lord, I want you to move so badly at these camps, convince these children and teens that it's not us, it's you. And Lord, could you be excited to do it? So Isaiah goes, where is your zeal? And where are your mighty deeds? And we talked about the power of God. We have got to have the power of God in our gatherings to convict sinners, to empower saints, to convince them that God is in this place. Amen? Well, watch the last one. He goes, where are the stirrings of your heart? Isaiah was wondering where God was. Have you felt in this COVID time it doesn't seem like God's doing anything? It just seems like evil is running rampant with no restraint. Praise God for Romans 1. Gives you a little understanding. But it's like, Lord, where are you, Lord? Isaiah felt the same thing you and I are feeling. But when he says this, where are the stirrings of your heart? The Hebrew is, beloved, where are the agitations of your intestines? That's what the Hebrew says. And I, this thing just melts me to pieces. To think about the eternal essence of God how vast and immense and powerful and all the omnis it is. And Isaiah, uh, less than a, a molecule in the universe, is asking, I want the depths of God to be agitated. Please, oh God, the stirring of your heart, the agitation of your intestines, oh God. Now, there was a man who did that to God. This is just blows my mind. It's like... This will mean little to you, beloved, if your concept of God is small. If you want to get it bigger, this is what I do. Just picture yourself 100,000 miles within the planet Jupiter. Just 100,000 away from it, you would die from fear because of its immensity. A little piece of Mount Everest could kill you if it fell on you. And Everest isn't even on the scale of things in the entire vast universe. And now we're calling on the one who created all of that. We want his deep insides moved for us. What are you looking for, Gert? Oh, I know, Gert, you're looking for David, who somehow, David, he stirred the heart of God where he's the only man in the Bible that God speaks of this way. There is a man after my own heart. David agitated the intestines of God. It was an ache, and it still is an ache. It kills me. It tears me up inside, and I don't know how to... I don't know how to cure it, but it's like, Lord, I, what do I have to do, Lord? What do I have to be? I want you to say that about me, Lord. I want you to describe me that way, Lord, and all I see is constant sin and weakness and ugliness and messing up. What was it about David? 
So I was studying on David last summer. What, what, why, Lord? I want to know what it was about him, that you spoke of him, that he was the man after your own heart. And so it says, when Joab, jo, David's relative, sent a woman to deceive David, and David saw right through it, and when the woman knows she was, her cover was blown, she goes, my Lord has the wisdom like that of an angel of God. He knows everything that happens in the land. Then it came to this. Another, and then Mephibosheth, Saul's, or Jonathan's son, who was crippled, he came to David after Absalom's rebellion, and he said the same thing to him. For my Lord the king is like an angel of God. Now watch this. David wanted to go out to battle and fight Absalom and his army, and this is one of the most powerful things. This is what one of his, basically one of his officers, I'm sure, said to him. He goes, my Lord, if we flee before the enemy, they won't care. My Lord, if even half of us die in the fray, the enemy will pay no mind. But you, my Lord, if you fall, you are worth 10,000 of us. And this is after he told, took another man's wife and had him killed. And I'm, I remember where I was sitting in my house, saying, what is it about this man? I was feeling in my heart, sitting in the chair, like, I have got to meet this man. What is it about him? That he stirred the heart of God. He was after God's own heart. And the people would talk to him that way. My Lord, you are worth 10,000 of us. They also said, you're not going out to battle, my Lord, lest the lamp of Israel be extinguished. David was the lamp of Israel. As I'm just meditating in this, beloved, and I, I just, I just got to meet this man, the Holy Spirit arrested me. The Holy Spirit is very jealous for the glory of Jesus. And Jesus is very zealous for the glory of the Holy Spirit, where he said, you can blaspheme the Father in me, but if you blaspheme him, you're done. I love how the members of the Godhead cover each other. So what happened? The Holy Spirit arrested me, and then this is what he spoke to my heart. Michael, if you think David was something, where do you see the son of David? I'm serious. I wanted to meet David so bad when I got to heaven, but what is Jesus like? Ah! Yeah. This is my eighth time preaching this since June, but you see, the gold coins haven't run out yet. It still tears me to pieces and makes me crave him, I can't, you know? And so I thought, you know what? I'm giving it to you, too. It's like, why? Why not? It's like, when it runs out, he'll have me preach something else. Now, I got to get to the end. And then, of course, he goes, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And then, let me say this. We know God is here. He's in you. God will, once you're regenerated, God will never leave you nor forsake you. You are sealed to the day of redemption, Ephesians 1.14. You're his. If you're truly his, he will spank you when you try to run from him. That's how you know you belong to him. If someone leaves him and never comes back, they never belong to him. The Lord disciplines those he loves. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father, who's greater than all, no one can take him out of his hand. Why did I bring that up? Oh, because I know when you come here every Sunday, God is here. God stays with you, but here's what I'm after. He stays, 
but does he spray? There's a big difference. You know what I'm talking I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. That's what I'm after. I don't want to do camps without it. I know Pastor Rick doesn't want to do church without it. We know he's here when we come. But how many of you have been in a lot of church services where there was no release of the Spirit of God? Come on! I, remember, I used to play drums for a church years ago, and you would think Jesus was riding up the center aisle on his white horse. And I'd be playing along with it, but I felt like such a hypocrite because when all the hype and the craziness, and I'm sorry, the people probably meant well, but it was, I don't, there was something wrong. It was just hype. And I, I tell Kim after certain, you know what? I didn't sense a release of the Spirit of God in the whole thing. You know, the things we try to do to try to make him come? You see, he stays, but does he spray? Years ago at camp, I had an aerosol can of air freshener. You know, we've been in services. We, we know the can is there, but we want manifestation, don't we? Yes. Now, um... Who, uh, were you going to help me, bro? Using the two understudies. I couldn't get the, the, the main actors to do it. <laughs> That's cool. Now, so this is, these are the, this is the glory of God that we are so after. Um, and, and if you haven't been, this is what I pray is happening inside of you. Because this is what this stuff is doing to me. You know, but watch now. Isaiah looked around the people of his day and he said, there was no one who calls on God's name. There is no one who hungering for him, who wants him, who desires him. He said, Isaiah goes, there's no one who stirs himself up. The Hebrew word there is like arousing yourself from sleep. Another scholar said that these, these Jews were in a stupor. They were like, out of it. And Isaiah said, there's no one who stirs themselves up to take hold of you. And the Hebrew word there is to seize, just like I'm doing, and to fasten upon. And Isaiah said, I, I don't see anyone doing that. You see, beloved, you can't hold a nuclear reactor and not glow. You see, I am the true vine, you are the branches. I told the first group that Kim and I try to walk around the bottom floor of our house and, and, and keep it a, a place of prayer. I've often said, Lord, I want you to see three Windsor Road. I want you to see our roof glowing, Lord, because on the thousands of houses in our area that you're looking at, I want you to see, Lord, we're thinking of you. Uh, we want this to be a min and it is, it's, our, it's the ministry base too, besides our home, but Lord, we want you to so when I haven't felt like praying, Kim wants to pray and I'm laying on the couch because I'm zonked out of it. And she's like, come on, Michael, get up. And, uh, and a text that comes to my mind is John 15. I am the vine. You are the branches. You abide in me. You'll bear much fruit. So it's like, oh, Lord, you're the true vine. Please let the life juice that flows through the true vine, please, Lord, let it flow through this branch. I'm fastening myself on you. And you'll pop fruit, beloved. That's how you do it. That's how the glory of God will come in this place. You'll seize him and fasten yourself upon him. And Isaiah, thank you, bro. And, I, and Isaiah said no one was doing it in his day. Now, I didn't use this in the first 
I, I gave the teaching about it, but I didn't use it. This, I forgot to use it, but I want to use it now. And I'll close with this. Thank you so much for your patience. Um, then Isaiah says this. Your people possessed your sanctuary for a little while. Your people possessed your sanctuary. What was the sanctuary? That was where God came to meet with them. But watch the last words. For a little while. The Lord spoke to my heart driving here yesterday. The Lord destroyed more temples in the scripture than he cleansed. The Garden of Eden. Remember? And the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Who did he usually walk with? Adam and Eve. But 324 in Genesis says, it says the Lord God drove them out. Out because of their unfaithfulness. What happened later? Moses met with the Lord on the mountain. Exodus chapter 40. The Lord, starting in chapter 25, he gave him all the pattern of the tabernacle. I will meet with you there. And after the tabernacle was dedicated in Exodus chapter 40, what happened? It says the cloud came on it. It says the fire came in it. Why? God wanted to dwell with them. What happened? 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 11. Philistines steal the ark. They kill the priests. They kill the people. The ark is gone. The tabernacle eventually destroyed. 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon builds the temple. What happens again? The cloud of glory comes in the temple where it's so thick. Why? He wants to commune with us. Comes in. What happens? The priest couldn't even minister in it because the glory cloud was so thick. Your people possessed your sanctuary for a little while. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 19. It says the Babylonians came. They took all the treasures of the house of the Lord. It says that they broke down the walls. And they burned down the house of God. It happens. That was Old Testament, Gertie. Matthew chapter 24, verse 2. What did Jesus say? You see all these stones? There won't be one left on another. And it happened in AD 70. Well, that was old time. and not happening today. You tell me how many churches you know that aren't churches anymore. There are coffee shops. It burns, makes my blood boil. There are antique shops. They're no more. Do you think the people who met decades ago in them excited the word of God being preached, the presence of God being released, had any idea in just decades, be no more. How many, how many, the glory has departed. How many denominations started off conservative, filled with the doctrine of God that bring you to your knees. I was reading men from them, and now they're apostate, liberal. It's still going on, beloved. This is what burns in my stomach, like, Lord, I don't want my camps to be spoken of that way. The people, Hopewell Networks, possessed your sanctuary for a little while. 
Full gospel center possessed your presence for a little while. Just think of your church and your time here on your watch, the timeline of history. You want people in years to come when they read the history books about what God did in this area? Wow, that church is still going on. The odds are against you in the natural. What do you do? Let's bow our heads before the Lord. I know the brunt and the weight of this burden. God always holds the leadership accountable first. With leadership, there's great honor and privilege. There's even glory, but there's great responsibility and accountability. But it lies with you too, beloved. I'm just going to invite you. You want to come and just spend some time with him. I want to be, Lord, one of those that Isaiah talked about who fastened himself, herself upon you and seized you. I want to stir myself up this morning, unlike the people of Isaiah's day. I want to hold the true vine so that more of his sap runs through me to bear fruit. You come on up. You just come now. You want to do that? You can stay in your chair. We just want to be sensitive. We want the Lord to seal this word. We want it to bear fruit in you. And even some of you might feel, you know what? Michael, I feel like I want to pray for the pastors. You'd be amazed what COVID has revealed about where famous, evangelical, nationally known leaders are. It's revealed a lot. You just go ahead. I asked Pastor Rick after the first service, could we just have a response time and just rearrange things a bit? And he was so gracious. So I just don't want to get up and, you know, I know we have to leave, but this is why I love camp. We don't have to get up and leave. So I just want Spirit of God just to come. He hovered over the surface of the deep at creation. The same Holy Spirit is in this room. Hallelujah, Lord. Holy One, do what you want with the time we have left. In Jesus' precious name, for his glory alone. and an usher to help me and bring an offering plate up. I'm going to take Pastor Girton's notes. He directed us to the text. As we come to the Scripture, the Lord reveals Himself as we've sat in His presence today. Many times when He's done preaching, I just I want more of Jesus in my life, and I know that's your response too. I'm going to put His notes here in the offering plate right above the altar. And I'm going to ask you to come and give. And this altar is open for prayer. When you're done giving, uh, just spend some time at the altar. And uh, you can be dismissed if you need to leave. But if you need to tarry, uh, take this opportunity. Amen.